The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. Hey folks, it's Jack. Today we have a special treat for you, an introduction to an enlightening new podcast, Ye Gods, from producer, playwright, and frequent guest here on the History of Literature, my friend Scott Carter. We all know that faith and ethics are recurring themes in literature from Greek mythology to Shakespeare to the great Russian novels, Charles Dickens, Emily Dickinson, and everything in between and after. And so, in Scott's new podcast, Ye Gods, we're taken on a pilgrimage of sorts, as each week he'll be talking to comedians like Susie Essman from HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm, Pulitzer Prize-nominated playwright Anna DeVere Smith, neuroscientist-philosopher Sam Harris, and even the occasional podcast host, namely, yours truly, Jack Wilson. Keep listening to hear Scott turn the tables on me, and as... As we publish an episode of Ye Gods, where we discuss faith and God and a few surprising things, surprising even to me. Afterwards, you'll want to follow and subscribe to Ye Gods wherever you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss new episodes that come out every Wednesday. So here we go. I do hope you enjoy this as I did Ye Gods. I would like to ask you a question here. Fire away. I, one of my goals here on Ye Gods is that I don't want to ask anyone a question that I would not be willing to answer myself. So imagine that you are sitting alone in a car, let's say, in a completely remote location, and no one can see you or hear you. You're there by yourself for an hour. Okay? And during that hour, you spend your time thinking about all the people in your life who you hate. And for that hour, you're busy, you're furious, and you're hating them. Now, imagine that instead you spend the hour in a positive mood, loving everyone and everything, getting ready to do great things. Do you think that that has an effect on the universe? Hello, and welcome to Ye Gods. I'm Scott Carter. That voice you just heard was of author Jack Wilson. His books include The Race and The Promotion. He's also one of the most literate people I know, which is a good thing because he hosts the very smart, fun, and my personal favorite podcast, The History of Literature. I'm pleased to have him as my guest today as we ponder love and hate cast into the universe. Jack Wilson, welcome to Ye Gods. Thank you for having me. It is so nice to talk to you. I think Listeners of History of Literature will know that you were raised in and born in rural Wisconsin. That's right. Small town. What was the faith like in your household as you were being raised, if if indeed there was any? So the two big games in town, in the town where I grew up, were the Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church. And that kind of divided the community, and then everyone else had a smattering of Protestant churches to pick from, and my family went to one of these underdog churches. The underdog Protestant? (laughs) That's right. And our church, there would maybe be 20 or 30 people there on a Sunday. But I went every week, pretty much. We sang hymns, and I attended Sunday school, and all of that. Did you participate in other 
youth leagues or other activities besides church on Sunday? By the time I got to that age, I was already starting to drift away. I remember the confirmation classes being a point where it was becoming a real battle for my mom in particular to keep me interested and attending church. So any of the the more teenage level events and activities and camps and things like that, I was not someone who was going to be going to those. My family briefly was Lutheran during my adolescent years. And for me, a lot of the notion of faith historically or spiritual uh, practices historically has got to do with individuals. So this church, I'm one of five siblings, and at this church, there was a, a minister and his very attractive wife who sang in the choir. And they had six children, and the six children coordinated to the time frame of the birth dates of my siblings and I. Mm. And, and, but also we had a hip vicar mm. who, who, young guy, <laughs> and I remember him playing banjo to his own um, song parodies, which had a mm. righteous liberal tint to them. What you just said really resonated with me because when I was eight or nine, we had a minister who was coming through and he had just left Yale Divinity School and was sort of a, a, a professor type. And he was doing, he and his wife were doing a couple of years in a rural setting as part of their journey. And then he left after, I mean, he was my hero for a couple of years. He was the reason to go to church and I enjoyed talking to him and, and he knew how to say things in a way that really made sense to me. And then he left because his stint was over and he was replaced by kindly people, but people who were a little more annoyed by questions and who maybe didn't have the same teaching skills or the same patience for children. And I was getting older. And so I was kind of resenting that the people who had replaced him were not on my wavelength the way he had been. And that sort of changed my experience. Yeah, I feel like when those charismatic leaders leave, one finds oneself like the boy at the end of Shane calling to Alan Ladd as he has his horse moves away from the little town and saying, come back. Um, did you, did your family try to talk you back into coming to church regularly or, or, or staying with the fold? Yes, my mother, definitely. It was a, a source of pain for her all through my 20s, in fact, until I got married. And then she shut it off. I think then I was someone else's problem, maybe. She did not respond by trying to help me with the questions I had, but more of a, well, this is how it's going to be attitude, which didn't work. And the one thing she said that I remember reaching me was, she said, this is a great comfort to a lot of people. And I've never disrespected the church. Like I've never, I've never felt like it was my place to criticize others or be sarcastic about it or, or treat it as uh, anything other than a, a genuine good faith human response. And I, I don't know if the, the things in church are true or not. I, I don't know that they can be known, but it's not, 
anything that I, I've always had a lot of respect for the people who go and for prayer and for a lot of the aspects of the more religiously inclined. And when you say that you had questions that the church was not answering for you, what what were they these questions and and did you find answers for them elsewhere? Well, that's the thing. I didn't think I know there are questions like, well, who made God? Or questions like that that a lot of people stumble across and and want answers for. I didn't really expect religion to give me those answers. I felt like science couldn't answer some of those questions either. Like what was, where did the Big Bang occur? Or what was, how did something come from nothing? And I felt as if it wouldn't be fair for me to demand those answers from the church. But we were taught that babies who were unbaptized would go to hell, or that Buddhists who were living in Thailand should accept Jesus as their savior or face eternal damnation or things like that that struck me as not being consistent with the message of hope and love and faith and all the things that the church that that I thought was good about the church seemed to me to be undermined by things that seemed to be more about getting people to go to church or getting people to go to a particular church yeah i um i've now come even i think before I had a sense that, yes, there is a God, which has been with me now for a few decades. I did have a sense of the practical service of rituals, that weddings and baptisms and bar mitzvahs and funerals and last rites and all of this, I feel like, has a sacred place in helping people through the transitions of life. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I actually have kind of a a neat closing of the circle on that story that I told you earlier about the minister who had been in my congregation when I was eight or nine. When I was getting married, I was in Seattle, and by then he had moved on and had become a divinity professor and was also in Seattle. And so my wife and I, or my fiancé and I, we're feeling, although she is not religious, probably even less religious than I am, we were feeling like the decision to get married and the forthcoming wedding and marriage in general, it felt like we were cutting across religion's lawn, that it was, and we were on their turf. It was feeling sacred. It was feeling like there was something important that a completely a trip to the courthouse, for example, wasn't going to fully capture the way we felt about what we were doing. And so we contacted this man who was no longer performing services, but of course he remembered me and he had kept in touch with my family for all of these years. And he agreed to marry us. And I remember after we met with him, my wife said, yes, he's the guy. This is, this feels right. And so we had more of a religious service because of him and because that was what he was bringing to the table. But it did feel like it was appropriate in those circumstances and just the way we we felt about our wedding and about our marriage. He was able to supply it. And did he live up to your high notion of him? Was he, did, was he still a source of admiration for you? 
Yes, I think so. I think what I appreciated was that he was someone who could live with those questions. He didn't mind that I had those questions. And for him, those were things to wrestle with as well. That it didn't, like another question I remember having is, here's a God who is all good and powerful and knows everything. And he hands down commandments, and a lot of them are about worshiping God, right? The first four, I think, are about not taking the Lord's name in vain and, and no other gods. Holy, no other gods before me. That's number one, and no false idols. And I can remember thinking, is this the God that I expect to be all good and all powerful? Is this what he commands us to do? I just couldn't reconcile it in my mind with what I expected from a God who was all good and who was that much based in love that he would demand a sort of observance of that. Or it just, to me, I, I don't know, I, I don't mean to to uh, offend anyone. But for me, I just was thinking, well, if I had a... a let's say a terrarium and I had a bunch of lizards inside and I was their God and I was all powerful and I was, I supplied all their food and I could end their life with at a moment. And if I was in that position and there was one of the creatures was, had put up a picture of me and was, was, I might smile and I might enjoy that. But if another lizard was spending his time taking care of his sick mother, I would feel like, well, that's just as good, or that's that's maybe an even better way to spend his time. Like I, and if I said to you, well, I'm angry at the one who's helping his sick mother because he doesn't put up a picture of me and isn't bowing down and and uh, and treating my special day as a holy day, you would probably think I was vain or that I was. You know, you would see that as a bad quality. And I couldn't get my mind around the idea that out of Ten Commandments, four of them were about what looked to me like vanity. Now, you and your wife, I believe, have two sons. Yes. Did the notion of if you were going to indoctrinate them at all, was there a sense in the same way that you had a sense that you were on a neighbor's lawn for marriage, did you have that sense in the upbringing of your two children? We didn't. We didn't. And I feel, sometimes I feel bad when I realize how little that all the things that I absorbed from going to church and Sunday school, culturally, spiritually, morally, everything that is in me, sometimes I feel bad when I realize how little of that they were subjected to or exposed to or or had a chance to learn just stories from the Bible and so on I think they they know a handful of them but there are things in me that are pretty deeply rooted that I do attribute to the church going for example the story in the Bible of Jesus tells a story about the woman who goes and gives she's impoverished but she donates what she can. And he says that's worth more than the wealthy person who comes and gives. 
maybe a greater amount, but that it's nothing to him. It's trivial to him. And that her donation is is greater. That's the kind of thing that I've taken with me. And I hope that my children have picked it up as well. But I don't know that I would have, I would have, I would feel that as deeply as I do now after having heard that story when I was five and six and seven and, and it really resonating with me. And there's 50 things like that. Do they ever ask you questions that uh, are on the lawn of religion? I think they will ask questions about the universe. They ask questions about Jesus more out of curiosity, I think, than anything. I don't get the sense that they're longing for answers that we haven't been able to provide. So having described your upbringing and and your how you've conducted both the wedding and then the upbringing of your kids, where spiritually, when the big questions come into your mind, where are you now? How do you answer them to your own satisfaction? I would like to ask you a question here, because I think this will fire away. I, <laughs> one of my goals here on Ye Gods is that I don't want to ask anyone a question that I would not be willing to answer myself. This will help me explain to you how I still feel like I'm a spiritual person in some sense, even though I'm kind of divorced from a church or organized religion. So imagine that you are sitting alone in a car, let's say, in a completely remote location, and no one can see you or hear you. You're there by yourself for an hour, okay? And during that hour... You spend your time thinking about all the people in your life who you hate. And for that hour, you're busy, you're furious, and you're hating them. Now, imagine that instead you spend the hour in a positive mood, loving everyone and everything, getting ready to do great things, and then you leave. Now, let's say your life is the exact same before and after that hour in the car. So I'm not saying... You probably then went out and helped a bunch of people or that there was some kind of uh, domino effect from this hour. Just that hour in isolation. Do you think that that has an effect on the universe? Because I kind of do. I, <laughs> I shouldn't say I kind of do. I really do. And I don't, th I don't think like it makes me a better person afterwards. I could have, I could die at the end of the hour and I would feel like the hour I spent in isolation thinking positively helped the universe become a better place. And it's, I can't explain it. There's no, I have no rational reason or scientific explanation or even really a theological explanation, but my belief is is kind of like a faith in the sense that I think it I think it's true without having any any grounds for believing that it's true but how could it happen it has to be there's this other force out there it has to be something that my mind and my spirit is connected to something bigger than me which might be god and I have to believe that it's there because otherwise my little thought experiment couldn't, you know, it wouldn't be true. There'd be no difference between the hour that I spent thinking negatively or thinking positively. 
This is a fascinating question, and I would say that I have the same conclusion that you do, but let me perhaps venture an explanation that at least seems logical to me. If I'm in the car and I'm thinking good thoughts about people, how much I love the people who in my life who nourish me, let's say, or even people I don't know, but they, their music or their art of any kind inspires me. I think that in the hour that following my hour in the car and when I'm driving back into the town, wherever I live, I think I'm going to be receiving different kinds of thoughts because of that hour spent in gratitude. And I think that if I'm spending an hour in the car alone thinking hateful thoughts, vengeful thoughts, let's say, against those I believe who have done me wrong, I believe that some of those positive, creative ideas will not be coming to the forefront of my consciousness when I drive back into town. That if anything, it'll be my trying to talk myself off the ledge of my toxic thoughts and just trying to get back to zero. But that if I've gone to a place, and some of this has to do with rituals that I do every day, meditation, I recite the Lord's Prayer with my younger daughter who still lives at home. I'll do that every night, even though I think she's just indulging me. <laughs> I don't think it, it's connecting to any religious beliefs that she has. So I think there is a connection between the things that one puts out and wishes the universe to in some way answer. And I'm not one of those people who, let's say, drives down the street making deals with God for every green light I get if I'm running mm -hmm. late. I, I don't believe that things are on that micro-transactional level in the universe. But I have noticed that sometimes when I, especially during the pandemic, take a long walk or jog and, and I am thinking good things about people, I am then, I would say, creative thoughts or good thoughts occur to me. Oh, I should, I should call. I haven't talked to this person in a long time. Let me call them out. Let me ask them now that we're all vaccinated. Let me take them out to dinner. Well, that thought wouldn't occur if I was stewing about in, in resentment toward others for the previous hour to my jogging or run or walking. Right. I have no doubt that you are correct, that that hour spent thinking good thoughts would make me a better person and would tend to bring about more positive results and more positive things would come my way. What I find odd about myself is that I think even if I dropped dead at the end of an hour, I would have made the universe a better place for that hour. I feel like what's in my mind connects to something larger in the moment. And so uh, thinking something positive and great expands the greatness or the love or the positive energy that exists, even as I think it, that it's not necessarily dependent on what it will cause me to do afterwards or what what effect it will have on my mind afterwards. And I don't have any explanation for it or reason for it, but it is something that I believe. Yeah, I and I'm completely with you on all this. Well, then let me ask you, because 
you deal with literature all the time. And especially I'm reminded often because of my interest in Tolstoy of Russian literature, mm. uh, addressing the big, big questions of life. And one thinks of Tolstoy or Dostoevsky as being tormented on a daily, if not hourly or minute by minute basis of what these big questions are. And I know that for me, there was a near-death asthma attack that I had now several decades ago that when I, that I was put into the hospital for a week. And when I came out, I had a mini Saul to Paul-like epiphany. And and that it's completely shifted so that I do have the connection that you're talking about, which is I'm alone in the car and I'm thinking good thoughts and the universe is somehow better for it. How do you, have you ever had any event that has kind of nudged you over from skepticism to qualified or even unqualified belief in something that cannot in this realm exactly be explained? Yes, I have. So if I were looking at one piece of evidence to address someone who said, you know, this is, we are just animals living on a rock and that's how it is. And everything is, there's a rational explanation for everything. There are no mysteries. There's nothing in the spiritual realm that you're talking about. If they were telling me that I have one thing that happened to me that I hold on to to remind me that there may be something there that I don't understand, but that is consistent with how I sort of have vaguely believed that the cosmos is ordered. And that is has to do with my... Okay, there we go. Wasn't that a bit revealing with a bit of a cliffhanger there? That was just part of a new episode of Ye Gods with Scott Carter. You can listen to the rest of the interview and hear the story of my grandfather and the moment that erased my skepticism about the great beyond. Just search for Ye Gods with Scott Carter right now, wherever you're listening to podcasts, and be sure to follow or subscribe so you get new episodes of Ye Gods each week. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening.